Hi, my name is Ryan Rosillo, and this is the Dual Threat Podcast from The Ringer. Please subscribe, rate, and review. I got to admit, I'm a little hot to start this thing. A couple different things going on. What's up with me lately? Well, let me tell you. I stepped on a bee the other day at the beach. Nice stinger in the left. Uh, small toe, smallest toe. That's the guy on the outside. Some people talk about the importance of that toe for balance. I'd lose that toe for a million bucks. Um, and I do well. You know, not that well, but, you know, I would still probably lose it. But there's always this moment when you haven't been stung by a bee in a really long time. Like when I used to work construction and I'd step on a nail and it would go through my foot or I'd get one stuck in my arm or something terrible, staple gun. You know, maybe somebody hammered from the Cape. Just, you know, he's he's been he hit the wharf a little hard for lunch and then he, you know, staple. You know what I'm saying? Anybody who's worked construction knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Dorma. Um, but if not, you don't know. Yeah. So the bee. I'm like immediately make, oh, something's wrong. Oh, wow, this hurts. Wait, am I allergic? No, I've never been. But is some weird body chemistry going to happen? We're at 40 something. I like to say 40 something now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're kind of <laughs> sitting around and you go, you know, I still had like another hour in me at the beach and I wanted to read more. And I'm watching these guys surf because I think I'm close. And then I don't want to go out there and be a Joey and snake anybody's wave. But then I see all these other clowns out there. And I'm like, I just got to get, just got to get out there with the board. But I don't really like my board because it's too long. I can't really turn it. Um, so I'm not allergic to bees, so there's an update there. Nice. I'm a little hot to start this thing because I'm on a two-scoop of pre-workout down the street. Heavy leg day today. Not too heavy, but I, I'm doing some different stuff, different techniques with legs close together on some of the squats to get that outside quad burn that a lot of the chicks like. Um, and a guy was on the leg press machine. I know leg presses aren't great. Like I'm not one of those skinny guys that just puts a ton of plates on the leg press to try to be like, look how cool I am because I can't do any of the other real exercises. It's my move. Yeah, right. You know who you are out there. <laughs> I used to do leg presses in high school and think it was awesome because it was the only thing I could really put any weight on. And uh, my man was on it for 43 minutes. New record. But you can't beat it. You won't know anyone. You'll never see anything like it. Hollywood Equinox, I mean, absolutely blew my mind. Because I start a timer, I time all my stuff now, so I'm going, I'm fast, to get a little pace going. It's big, been a big thing with me lately, tempo in football, tempo for me in the workouts. And uh, yeah, this guy was on it. I mean, this is not an exaggeration. I looked down, I went, oh my God, that guy is still on it. I looked down at my timer, I was at 43 minutes, so I did some calf stuff, and then as soon as he got up, another guy grabbed it. So I was like, all right. What's he like, dude, I'm listening to Dual Threat right now, I'm almost done. <laughs> No, that was really cool, though, when the guy jogged by me. I don't know if I mentioned that on the ESPN one or this no, one. No, you did on this one. It was on this one. 43 minutes, that's almost a full dual threat pod right there. He could have been listening. No, we usually give the people 60. We usually give the people 60. Booger McFarlane's going to give us 20-plus minutes. He was on the call of an historic Monday night football game. Uh, that thing was incredible, and that's probably what we're all going to talk about. I'm going to talk about that at the beginning. Oh, yeah, the one other tidbit that I have, just some rye updates. I may have a stalker. Not 100% sure what the hell is going on, um, but I found barefoot footprints from somebody that got up into my balcony to my bedroom, but the bedroom thing's always locked, so you're never going to get in, and I didn't hear anything, but when I saw the footprints, I realized, I go, this person jumped onto this, took three steps, and then turned around, and there's so much dust just because, you know, it's LA, uh, and I don't hose down my deck every day. I saw the footprints, and then at first, I'm like, wait a minute. You know, could it have been me? You know, and then I I checked it out, forensics, the whole thing, CSI, and those those are not my footprints. What size you think? Are we talking small? A man? No, I think it's a girl. Huh? So, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to sound shallow, but <laughs> you know, like how'd you guys meet? Well, she's pretty aggressive, and you know, things have been a little slow for me. So, you know, kind of just 
Let's see how this goes. One day she was just there. Right, yeah. It's kind of a weird start. We, maybe we won't tell everyone. We'll just say we met on Tinder like she everybody else. never asked her to leave. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, hey, get out. Whoa. How old are you? Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's real or not. May have to get some more surveillance cams installed at the uh, at the estate. But those are not my footprint. They're not men footprints. So... If you're a homeless woman in the South Bay area trying to break into my place, uh, you know, I don't know what to tell you. We're on to you. Okay. Have a little pre-roll or just get a hotel. All right. And you can get a hotel from the good folks at Hotel Tonight. Let's talk about Hotel Tonight by showing you top-rated hotels with unsold rooms. Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book your stay at an amazing rate. And even though their name's Hotel Tonight, you can book in advance. Perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekend staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool, and more. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. Also a reminder, because if you think you forgot about the Jessel Nick and Rosenthal Vanity Project, we're not going to let you. Because comedian Anthony Jeselnik and his best friend and NFL analyst Greg Rosenthal once had an NFL podcast called The Rosenthal and Jeselnik Vanity Project. Well, that show ended, but hope remained that they would one day return. Great news. They're back. Now part of Comedy Central's podcast network. Anthony and Greg will discuss sports, current events, and everything in between. The Rosenthal and Jeselnik Vanity Project is dead. Long live the Jeselnik and Rosenthal Vanity Project. Catch new episodes every Tuesday night wherever you listen to your podcast. Before we do any of the college football playoff ranking reaction, uh, which we'll get to at the back end, don't worry, Chris Fowler trivia this week is incredible. Really pumped about that. Um, Booger McFarland coming up a little bit later. I do have to just start with what we saw with Kansas City and uh, L.A. I, I always, like, other than just going, hey, that was awesome. Like, you don't need, that's not why you're subscribing to the pot. That's not why you're giving it five stars. Hey, did you hear Rosillo on that game? He said it was awesome. Oh, good enough for me. But I started reading all sorts of different things. Like, what does this mean? And I, too, am kind of at this point where I don't know that I can explain all this stuff. Uh, I, I keep thinking, is, is it that the NFL just kept doing it wrong all this time? And I think part of that is true. If you listen to my ESPN pod with Steve Young, where I did all that USFL stuff with Steve Young's contract, which is an incredible story. But I started asking about today's game, and it, it is true. Like I don't believe that it's only because of the way the game is called. I think it's a combination of the way the game is called, not only just freedom of movement, kind of like we have in basketball right now, which is a whole separate issue, but also the emphasis on the NFL. As I, I, the analogy I've used before is is the DUI laws in Scandinavia, where they want them to be so um, extensive. I don't know if that's the right word, but they they want it to be to the point where you can't even have a half a beer and legally drive a car because they're like, this is the best way to prevent anything from happening. Let's be excessive in the way we punish this. And that's what the NFL has done with safety issues because they're sick of everyone and all these different media outlets crushing the last few years saying they don't care about safety. So they'd rather you be mad and be upset about a flag that isn't deserved, like that helmet to helmet thing that we saw that was ridiculous because the tight end lowers his helmet into a defensive back who's trying to go at his legs. The NFL hasn't cared that it's excessive. So you add in that. You add in that everything seems to be pass interference. And I hope to God we never have replay on pass interference because I think everything in slow motion replay looks like pass interference and we'll have even more flags. But then you also have the minds of some of these coaches that have decided that 
And I think in a game like we see with the Rams and Chiefs where you go, you may stop me first down, you may stop me second down, but you're not going to stop me from getting 10 yards three times in a row. So I don't even care. And then when you look at the completion percentages, I used to always go, okay, what are the most important stats? Is it rating? Eh, not all the time. It can be misleading. Is it yardage? Nah, because sometimes guys are really good in between the 20s and they can't close it out. Kerry Collins, Alex Smith. Well, now I need to say I feel I feel bad. We shouldn't say anything bad about Alex Smith because that leg injury was brutal. Although Colt McCoy, who was trying to get him on, us. Now we won't be able to get him on because he's a starter. Effort that, Kyle, all right? Got it. Help a brother out. I I watch this and go, maybe it is only about forcing turnovers and having small safety hybrid linebackers and trying to get like I'm constantly now watching this going, what would I do? And not like I'm some football coaching mind, but like, what is the next thing to try to, to balance out what we're seeing? Cause that's always what we grew up with, right? All of us that have watched football, how ah, the defense will catch up. Eventually they'll figure this thing out. There'll be some other cycle. There'll be some sort of dungy two, Tampa two, cover two hybrid, all of these things. I remember like 15 years ago, arguing about a four, three or a three, four and what was better. Cause you had to stop the run. Who gives a shit? Like three, four, four, three. I remember being obsessed with whether or not the Pats would have a D tackle that was a true three, four nose tackle. And the Pats even going back here, and I'm not even talking like, I think it's more than five years ago. They were lining up in nickel more than 75% of the time anyway. So who cares what your base was called a three, four. Now TV stations and their broadcast have actually evolved to the point where they're just putting the five defensive backs out there instead of the extra linebacker who's never going to play anyway. So as I watch all that and I look at, again, kind of getting back to what I was talking about, quarterback completion percentage. It was like, okay, if you're over 60 or something, and that was kind of my anti-Vic argument because I always thought Vic was pretty overrated. He was just so much fun that you let that kind of get in the way that he wasn't really a great quarterback. And then he did have that one awesome run with Philly with, by the way, Andy Reid. And now I go, wait a minute, I'm supposed to go, I'm supposed to go completion percentage now? Like, that sounds stupid. I mean, I was going through this morning, the number of guys... Over 65%. Wait till I get to, I think, the last guy, somebody you've heard of. Um, There used to be years where there'd be five quarterbacks over 65% completion. And now it's 21. And you know who isn't at that number? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is 62. (laughs) Josh Rosen lasts right now at 55%. I mean, these numbers are ridiculous. Breeze is 77%. Matt Ryan's 70%. Um, 71%. Kirk Cousins is 71%. Although, you know, that Minnesota team, that's a whole other topic with their debacle, not being able to move the, ball, uh, move the ball against Chicago. But, you know, then you can sit there and go, well, you know, Goff is, is really special. Okay, yeah, like I'm, I, I guess he is. Maybe Mahomes is that special. Maybe he's the MVP and I don't love the, hey, let's shit on the other guy to make sure we're arguing Mahomes because I don't want to shit on Drew Brees. The guy's thrown one pick, his one turnover all season long. Maybe he is your MVP, but at the same time, I also don't want to turn this into Mahomes had a bunch of turnovers on a Monday night classic. So therefore now Brees is the guy because then I have to do this thing where I'm supposed to dump on one guy supporting cast and say one's terrible, one's better. They're both good supporting cast. Okay, New Orleans has the better defense. That means Mahomes has to do it every single possession. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'd be leaning Mahomes, but I couldn't sit there and say Breeze is a terrible call. Like there are certain arguments like that argument right there. If you said, hey, I'm going with Breeze and I'm like, I'm going, I, I wouldn't get mad at you. I mean, it's it's a little bit like the Rodgers-Brady thing. I think Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback I've ever seen. 
Brady has the better resume. But when they played each other on a Sunday night a couple weeks ago, you had to somehow dump all over the other guy and point out how great Belichick was and how the defenses are generally better, so therefore the front office is better, and that Rodgers has done it all on his own. And I would argue Rodgers has done uh, has done it with a lot less than Brady has. But at the same time, like that's not me dumping on Brady. Now, if you were to come to me and say, hey, the Avengers, the Hulk is more important than, than the, uh, what's it, Black Widow? Scarlett Johansson? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a Black Widow. Like, I would agree that the Hulk is more important than Black Widow. She didn't have any powers. Now, is that sexist? No. Now, if I said, hey, the Condoleezza Rice story about being the Browns head coach, that's a stupid story. Is that sexist? Actually, that's not sexist because that was a stupid story. It was a stupid story. I I don't understand how that story happened. Like, one guy calls her amazing, and then it's the number two story on ESPN.com after it had been refuted by the Browns and Condoleezza Rice herself. I think whatever happened there is like, look, I got one source to say that they're interested, sort of, but not. And I know a ton of people are going to retweet this thing. So let's go ahead. And before anybody does call me sexist on that one, I wouldn't hire Ted Cruz to coach Kansas. All right. So not political, just reality. I was talking Rogers Brady, right? And then I started talking the Avengers. Avengers yeah. Kind of I just, reason. I just don't understand what the black widow actually does. And I've had that, that that's look, that was a bit of an aside here, but I'm wondering, and this is just an open-ended kind of theory thing is you go, all right, maybe Mahomes is insane. Maybe Goff and Mahomes are going to be the two two of the five best quarterbacks. I mean, you know, look, Wentz was that guy last year. Prescott was supposed to be that guy three years ago. So, you know, we can get a little caught up in the moment here. But what Mahomes has done is insane. And Goff is the guy that gets the W with all of this. So let's say Goff and Mahomes are destined to be, for the next decade, two of the five best, okay? Some would want to even say one and two. Let's just say five best. And the way this stuff works is usually one of them won't be, but... Is it just so much easier? Are the quarterbacks that much more talented? Okay, fine. They grow up in all these drills, seven on seven. We had Dilfer talk to us about all this stuff, that these kids are more prepared for all of the stuff, the attention, the moment, the crowd, the att- like all of it. They're just more conditioned than ever before. Okay, I'll buy that. Are they more physically gifted? Okay, the evolution of human beings, seven-footers like Giannis who can dribble and do stuff we've never seen before. Przingis, Anthony Davis, like that's the evolution of the basketball human, the evolution of the baseball human, where all of these guys are throwing 98 now, okay? Like these are real things. So I guess it's true that it also could be happening with quarterbacks who aren't just sick runners or, or great arms. They just combine themselves into this almost like lab thing, where I used to think running quarterbacks are kind of a like fool's gold. Like eventually, hey, you're going to learn how to just play out of the pocket and now Mahomes makes some of these plays where he's running away from the line of scrimmage back away to his right and still turns his body and makes an makes an insane throw and that I think is the evolution of the human but as I start thinking about all of this stuff and then I see Trubisky and his numbers and I don't think he's that good but the numbers are sick and I wonder well wait is this really going to happen like whenever anybody said, "Hey, you know what you need to do now in today's NFL? You got to draft a rookie quarterback, pay him the rookie skill, you know, rookie skill salary, and therefore you." Know, hey, dude, I get it. I get the math. I get what Russell Wilson costs when he's under a million bucks a quarterback, and he's as good as Russell Wilson. You can spend everywhere else, and then guess what? When you have to spend on the quarterback, you lose everything else. That's why the Rams were able to bring in all these people this offseason because they're still paying off uh, minimal money compared to what they're going to end up having to pay him. And the same thing for Mahomes. Even though you'd like to see a little bit more defensively, at least, you know, just talent-wise because of the money that you're spared from Mahomes here for another year. 
but it's just assuming a lot. It's like when basketball people would say, hey, I want to build a team just like the Golden State Warriors. Oh, really? You want to draft the best shooting backcourt in the history of the NBA and maybe the best talent we've ever seen from a team one through five? You're, you're just going to go do that? Okay. Like, it's easy. And it's not easy to just to say, well, I, let me let me step back here. I don't think it was – it seemed absurd to me – to suggest you could just then go, well, hey, I'll pick somebody in the first round, he'll be my awesome young quarterback, and I'll spend everywhere else. But I'm almost wondering if it's actually a possibility in today's game that you don't have to hit the home run at quarterback like you used to have to because of all the factors that I've just laid out and that you can just get somebody to put up numbers if you coach them the right way exploiting the way defenses are penalized now and putting your money elsewhere because you're paying that rookie scale. I'm, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent convinced, but I'm not dismissive of it as some assumption. And look, I still think most of the guys, I mean, that's always been my thing for 20 years. Half the first round picks are bust at QB. Does this mean it's a lower bust ratio now because everybody's just better? Maybe. And I'm not putting Goff and Mahomes in that category because they're special. It's pretty clear that they're special now, but this is uh, that's the kind of game you watch and go, this is different, and I don't know when it's changing anytime soon. Before we get to Booger McFarland, who was on the call of Monday night, uh, let's talk about Belvedere Vodka because they were a big help for us out at Caesars. want to thank them again, the entire crew. They were awesome. Hope to work together with them on something in the future. But today's show is brought to you by Belvedere Vodka, produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka crafted by a collective of master distillers. Belvedere is made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, and no additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 2016, and 2017. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today, and remember to always drink responsibly. At what moment did you go... This is special. Like, this is one of the great games I'll ever see. Man, you know what? It, it was probably, uh, it was 13 nothing, And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, this thing's not going to live up to the hype. It's going to be a dud. And all of a sudden, it was 13 nothing, and the Chiefs just stormed back. And I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, now we got something. And then the Rams go up 10 more. Then the Chiefs come right back. And at that point, when, when they made that second comeback, you, you could see the look. And in the player's eyes, because I'm down at on the field level, and you get a chance to see facial expression. You get a chance to see things that are going on on the sideline, and, and you knew it was going to be a back-and-forth game, and just the competitiveness that was going on and, and, and the facial expression to me. At that point, I think it was probably about midway uh, through the second quarter toward the end of the uh, first half, I knew it was going to be special. We were hanging out before the game. We had lunch, and you were talking about certain things. I want you to kind of share with everybody now, what is it about that Chiefs interior offensive line that you knew was going to be a problem and may have been the deciding factor in the way the Rams won this game or were able to attack them? Well, I think if you look at their two tackles, uh, Fisher and Swartz, pretty good players. One's a number one overall pick. The other's a guy who's been pretty efficient. Uh, he's got the most consecutive snap streak going in the NFL right now at over 7,000. But that's where it kind of stops at because the, those interior three, man, you got guys. Uh, Cam Irving was drafted at center in Cleveland. Now he's playing guard. Um, the guy that's at center, he's 
you know, they, they've been on like their third center. The guy right guard's been on three or four practice squads. So you knew they were going to have trouble blocking Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald. And, and, and I knew in order for the Rams to win, they were going to have to get pressure up the middle because Patrick Mahomes got a quick release. And I, I just listened to Andy Reid because we had Andy Reid in the uh, production beat Sunday night. And I looked at him and I said, Coach, you kind of like your matchup on the back end. He's like, damn, you know, but we got to block him up front. And so you, you just got a feeling that between, you know, my film study and talking to Andy Reid, that they could be had on the back end. But their interior three had to hold up. And they held up for a little while. But, man, when Aaron Donald got loose, uh, he, he, he made some spectacular plays that was just unbelievable in the game. Yeah, so you would say on paper and even on film, and maybe even Andy Reid was confirming this, that the secondary for Los Angeles is something they knew they could exploit. Well, well without a doubt. And, and I think everybody around the league understands that right now, especially without a key to leave. Here's why. Marcus Peters is a corner that likes to play off coverage, meaning he likes to play 8 to 10 yards off where he can watch the football, watch the quarterback's eyes. He can jump a lot of routes. He makes a lot of big plays that way. A key to leave is a guy who wants to be up pressed, man-to-man, he wants to be in your face, smelling your breath. He likes to play that way. Well, since Tlaib has been hurt, they've kind of been using Peters in the Tlaib role and using some other rookies, Troy Smith on the other side, to try to play in the Peters role. And and, and they're all out of whack. And, and I think that's why you see Peters struggling. That's why this pass defense is struggling. So uh, Marcus Peters has been getting cooked, but just to give a little shout-out to him, he's doing it in a role that he's not suited for. Now, we knew the Chiefs' defense coming into this statistically isn't anything to get excited. I mean, that's really the theme of this year is that the best teams are these high-powered offenses, and it hasn't really mattered that they're, you know, if not just in the second half of the, of the league, we're talking like near the bottom with some of the teams that we probably think have the best chance to win a Super Bowl. So what were the Rams doing where we know that whether it's 11 personnel, how they line up, like it's the same formation it feels like all of the time, and yet – they, even without Cooper Cup and bringing in another receiver who was terrific, like, what are they able to do that, you know, I can understand what Kansas City's done with all their playmakers in space and misdirection, your eyes define you and all that kind of stuff. What is it about the Rams' approach that's somewhat different but just as effective? So what the Rams do is, is, is they, uh, they came into the game the, the number two rushing football team in the National Football League. They didn't run the ball a lot last night. Sean McVay came out saying, you know what, I like my matchup. I like my matchup against Fuller. I like my matchup against Kendrick. Uh, the tight ends that we have, Higby and Everett, I like their matchups. And so the running game was really a decoy last night. Todd Gurley only had like, I want to say, eight or nine carries toward the end of the third quarter. So they were going a lot of play action. And what happens with the play action is you get a max protect look. And so now you have six or seven guys to block the Chiefs four rushers. Well, conversely, what that means is Jared Goff's going to get a lot of time. He holds the football more than anybody else in the National Football League. Now, on the flip side, you only got two or three guys in the route. That's why if you saw last night, Jared Goff was sitting back there patting the ball and patting the ball because he had to wait for uh, Cooks and and Woods to get open down the field. And, and, you know, Cooks wound up cramping up because he was running so many deep over routes. But the Rams really do that. And then the moment you say, okay, I'm going to drive back and I'm going to play pass, not a hand up to Ty Gurley up the middle for 15 yards. So Sean McVay does a really, really good job of showing you one look and then giving you three or four different plays off the same look. It's a simple offense by design. It's it, it's different than the New Orleans Saints that give you 12 personnel groupings where you got to mix and match and learn everything. Sean McVay is going to give you 11 personnel 95% of the game 
he's just going to give you so many different looks and so many different variations. And the thing last night, Ryan, I don't know if you noticed this, the tempo they play with. They play with an unbelievable tempo where they hurry up and get to the line of scrimmage. They snap the ball. They hurry up and get up there, and then they wait and look for the sideline. So they play with so much tempo. They can kind of dictate to you what coverage and defenses that you have to be in. And McVay did a wonderful job with that last night. He and Jerry Goff. I uh, noticed a couple times, and this is something we've talked about before, about who Goff has become, right? And I uh, now have a video that's going around on, on Rams fan sites where they cut up like 40 seconds of the eight-minute segment where week one, 2017 preseason, so after Goff's rookie year, McVay staff comes in and they only had Goff play one series and they got like a touchdown after a turnover, right? And they yanked him immediately. Now, I didn't realize McVay just never wanted to play any of his guys and did that again this preseason because it's the first time as a head coach. And I thought, oh man, that... Like sometimes teams will do that with younger guys or people that are trying to build up their confidence. They'll yank them immediately. And then Goff ends up becoming a stud and he's statistically terrific like everybody else. But we thought that he stunk. We thought, you know, I hated even after a year suggesting that he was going to be a bust. And that was my overall segment that I did is that it doesn't even feel fair to suggest this. But I also felt like there was a story that Fisher had started putting out there that once Wentz was the better quarterback, that he actually always had wanted Wentz and that the team was moving to L.A. and they wanted a poster boy and it wanted to be able to have flyers and build around a star. And it's not a running back. It's a guy like Goff. Like all of these things have been said because coaches that lose their jobs are the best at telling you how great every other quarterback they wanted was, except they were overruled. Right. I mean, Hugh Jackson just did it with like the last seven good ones. So I I guess I'm I'm wondering, like, I understand coaching's important, but how could you go from someone that we thought was going to be a bust, perhaps, at number one overall, to now this? Like, have you ever seen anything like this just because of a coaching staff change? Well, you know, to be fair to the process, you make your biggest improvement between year one and year two. Now, with that being said, have you ever seen Game of Thrones, Ryan? Or like, are you a big Game of Thrones guy? Love Game of Thrones. Okay. You know, when they have people, you know, do the walk of shame and they just yell, shame, yeah. shame, Yeah, that was, shame. A, that was a weird scene. Why did you put Jeff Fisher on that walk right now and just yell, shame? Because it is a Not shame new. what he did with Jared Goff. Jared Goff has always been a talented quarterback, but what's happened now with Sean McVay is, number one, he's getting very good coaching. Number two, McVay has developed a relationship with Jared Goff, and, and they trust each other, and they see the game the same way. And I think if you go back and you look at the relationship, very similar to what you said about Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher just could not relate to Jared Goff. He's a defensive guy. Yeah, he's a USC guy, but he just doesn't fit. He doesn't relate to Jared Goff. And so now it's a combination of Goff making improvement from year one to year two. But I think the biggest reason is Sean McVay put his arm around this guy and said, you know what, I'm going to do what I think that you can do best. You got to tell me what you, what you like. And if you tell me what you like, I'm going to do what you like, and we're going to build this thing together. And to see the maturation of Jared Goff from where he started with Jeff Fisher to where he is now, I just want to make Jeff Fisher walk the walk of shame and just yell shame for like two hours because Goff is a low-key MVP candidate. Now, he's not going to win it because Todd Gurley is on his team and Drew Brees is only throwing one pick and 75,000 passes and Patrick Mahomes is doing ungodly stuff. But for his name to be mentioned in the MVP candidate race, from where he started a couple of years ago, as far as just being a guy who we thought was the bus who couldn't even call the play in the huddle on hard knocks without everybody laughing, it just goes to show you how important 
offensive coaches are to young new quarterbacks. Yeah, and Hard Knocks always does a really good job of selling whatever that storyline is and and whatever it is. Like we come out of Hard Knocks going, "Oh, wow." The Atlanta Falcons are going to be really tough and physical this year. I never forget Stanford Steve being like, remember Atlanta last year? They were weak. They weren't physical. So the coaches are telling all the producers and telling everybody around, like, we're going to be tough. We're going to be physical. And then, like, there's this carryover where we'll start to think someone's really stupid or a coach is really dumb. I remember the Jets watching them negotiate with Darrell Revis's people and coming away from that being like, these guys, like, aren't very impressive talking about these contract negotiations like I can't believe all these guys make a decision for an NFL team and it may be unfair because it could be a way a TV show is selling it but that's a really good point about Goff and Hard Knocks because you end up leaving going oh my gosh this guy doesn't even talk but then again look at last night maybe the most exciting game in the history of the regular season of this league and Goff he was he was unmoved you know and some guys I think are boring by design and then other guys I think are just maybe a little bit boring. And I know coaches love quarterbacks that are boring and don't want to be celebrities. But, I mean, he was just totally unfazed by the whole thing. It, it was it was astonishing. Like, I watched both of his post-game interviews on ESPN, and he's just like, yeah, okay, you know, i got to work on my pocket depth. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, what are you t- Hey, so, you know what? I just kind of went on a rant, but I actually want to get it back to because of the access you have with Monday Night Football and these production meetings where you sit and talk to these coaches. Give me an anecdote of maybe both McVay and Reed talking about these two great young quarterbacks, like something that stood out to you and McVay on Goff and then Reed on Mahomes. You know, McVay talked to us about Jared Goff. He said, you know, um, the moment is not too big for him, and he understands what we want to do offensively. And he'll, uh, he, he's gotten to the point where he and I can look at each other in a certain situation, and we know what plays that we want. And there was a moment last night in the game where Sean McVay is running down the sideline right in front of me. And I'm like, he's trying to go call timeout. And before he got to the ref, Goff turned to the sideline and signaled timeout before McVay did because they knew a certain look they had wasn't the look they wanted, and they both needed to get out of the play, and they were both trying to call a timeout at the same time. The clock wasn't running down or anything like that. They just knew based on the play that they called and what they wanted that they couldn't get it. And so just something something that simple with McVay, he and Goff on the same page. And as far as Andy Reid, Andy Reid, Ryan, um, has reinvented himself. If you think about Andy Reid, it's West Coast, it's uh, Mike Holmgren, it's Bill Walsh, it's, you know, three-step drop, five-step drop, get the ball out. He's turned into, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley and, and, and zone read and RPO and because he understands that the kid he has at quarterback, number one, he's good at it because he ran it at Texas Tech. Number two, he's got an arm. He played baseball. He's got a 95-mile-per-hour fastball-type arm, so he can make any throw. But more importantly... He sees the game with a photographic memory. I know Patrick Mahomes' goddad, uh, LaCroix Hawkins. And, you know, the first time we had him, I just called him and asked him a question. Hey, man, tell me something about this kid I can't see on tape. He said he's got a photographic memory. And no moment that he ever gets in will be too big for him. I said, how do you know that? He's like, I've been with him for 20 years. He's like, he's been in clubhouses. He's met King Griffey Jr. He's, he's hung out with A-Rod. He's seen the biggest stars. He's been there. He's done that. It doesn't bother him. It doesn't faze him. If you fool him with something one time, you're not going to get him again. And sure enough, Andy Reid said the same thing. He said he's a sponge. He's wise beyond his years. And the one moment that they've had where it was a little adverse was against Kansas City. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, Ryan. Andy Reid took his headset off on the sideline. While the defense was on the field, 
He went and sat on the bench next to Mahomes. And I asked Andy Reid about this. I said, Andy, why'd you do it? He said, you know, sometimes he's a kid, and you need to go put your arm around him and say, hey, kid, you know, everybody's not going to see it how, how you see it or see it how I see it. What's important is that you get everybody on the same page. And he said, I'm here for you. Tell me, tell me what are you seeing and what can I do? And I thought that was unprecedented for a head coach. While the game was going on, while his defense was on the field, he took his headset off and went sat next to his 22-year-old quarterback at the time and said, how can I help you? And those two have a relationship that is special because Andy Reid's 60 years old. Patrick Mahomes is now 23. All right? McVay's 32, 33. Goff is 23, 24. So they're very similar in age, those two. And so the relationship that these two have is unreal, and it's different because the age group, the age gap is different on both ends. I've heard you know a lot of stuff today because I was just kind of curious how I guess I'd say my colleagues and, and opinion people would talk about this. And you know this Mahomes thing is incredible. In the beginning, I'm always hesitant to wonder if it's real. Not just is this kid going to have a great season, he's going to win MVP, but are we talking about somebody who's going to be the best quarterback in the league the next two years? And the stats are off the charts. And when you start getting into the Breeze MVP thing, something I touched on at the beginning of the podcast, you go, man, I mean, Breeze has one turnover the whole time. And then you look at last night. But, you know, the pick return was a weird, fluky play by a collapsing offensive line. And then the last two interceptions are, what are we talking, um, the, under a minute to go. And especially on the last right. one, like there's a lot of great quarterbacks that just go, hey, I'm that's not a Brett Favre carelessness thing. It's a, hey, we, you know, this is this is the time left on everything. So I guess I feel like people were waiting for him to falter. And I'm thinking if you're looking at last night where he throws for almost 500 yards and all these touchdowns and completes 72 percent of his passes and you can get on him for not having a little bit more pocket awareness where he's been really i think flawless throughout that most of the season with new offensive line guys like let's not turn him into brett Favre. of this even though i know those are the comps i don't see the picks as a carelessness thing i see those as game time clock situation the last two and then kind of a fluky play on the other one so i don't i don't come away from this going oh you know what like cool you threw up a lot of numbers but now i think less of you as a quarterback i actually leave this going you know 21 points from the defense great interior line play by the defensive line for the rams but neutral site i'm picking the chiefs here's what you have to look at this game as number one yeah he uh i think he would have five turnovers okay yeah, yeah. so yeah you can take away those last two picks but he's got to hold on to the football in the pocket. Yes. Yeah. You know, the great quarterbacks always say, put two hands on the ball. But he's got to learn from that. Now, if you go back to the, the, the Patriot game where they lost, he threw a couple of picks that were bad picks. So there's a little bit of, I'm not going to say Brett Favre, but there's a little bit of carelessness because his arm is so good and he's made so many throws that sometimes, just like, just like we all do, he starts feeling himself a little bit. Right, he says, you know what? Yeah, I can make that throw. I know it's 55 yards away, but I can get it there in, in, in a second and a half. And I, I think the more he plays, you got to realize, though, Ryan, think about it. Last night was his 12th start in the NFL. He hadn't even started an entire season yet. And he's already an, an, an MVP candidate. He's already thrown for 36, 37 touchdowns, whatever the number is. And he's got an offense that a lot of people are afraid of. That, and that includes the great defensive guru, Bill Belichick. So, uh, I like you. I came away from the Patriot loss. I came away from the Rams loss last night, saying that if you're the Chiefs, you've lost two games by six points. In those two games, you committed seven turnovers and 18 penalties. I feel pretty good about my team 
when I when I don't beat myself. And I, and I think if, if, if you're the Chiefs, that's the way you have to look at the game. We didn't beat ourselves. We feel pretty good about it. Right. And then as I say that, I go, you know what, though? This Rams defense, especially when they get to lead back, they should be better. Like, there's more dudes... And I like D4. I like Chris Jones. Houston, I don't think is the same guy anymore off the edge, but it, you know he he's not bad necessarily. Um, I don't really love the Chiefs secondary, but there's at least a blueprint of names with this Rams defense where they can figure it out. So I wonder when you watch them on film and think of them as 100% healthy, like they should be a much better defense than the Chiefs. So you know, there's an argument that we could have in this podcast too, where we're both kind of sitting here, maybe loving the Chiefs too much after two big losses to the Rams and, and the Pats on the road. Uh, if I'm a Rams fan, I'm going, well, wait a minute, don't we have more personnel where this thing could be even better defensively if we're healthy? Yeah, I think if you look at the Rams, the Rams got to feel pretty good about what they're doing, especially when they get the lead back. Yeah. You know, you know, Peters has been getting picked on, and rightfully so. But he's playing out of position. He's playing off corner, eight to ten yards off, and that's not what he. You know, you know, that's something that that he, if you asked him, he'd rather do that. Uh, Wade hasn't playing a little bit more bump and run. That's what the lead does, and so I think Peters is in a situation now where he's having to kind of fill in and take one for the team. And and, and I thought it was kind of. Uh, it was kind of ironic last night. He gets the pick, and then I don't know if you can see it. He was dancing and kind of toning, you know, toning his chief teammates or whatever. And so last night was special for him. But I think they all realized that they're just trying to survive in the secondary now. They got some guys hurt. Uh, Peters is waiting on Tlaib to get back. I talked to Tlaib before the game. Uh, he'll be back. So they're going to play it safe. He realized that they're there uh, for the playoffs, meaning he and Peters. All right, Tlaib, Peters, Fowler Jr., they're getting up for a playoff run because at some point Dante Fowler is going to have to get a, 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 a pass rush or a sack or leave or Peters are going to have to get a man-to-man pick or something like that. That's what the Rams are getting up for. Yeah, it's cool that they you know won last night, but I think the bigger sense I left out of last night is you had two teams that put on an unbelievable game, maybe the best game uh, Monday Night Football has ever seen, but I think that they all realized that last night was just the appetizer. And if they get to meet for the entree in the Super Bowl or they play bigger teams, the Rams taking on the Saints or the Patriots and the Chiefs getting together, I think both of those teams realize that there's something bigger uh, than just making a game of the century like they did last night. I know, and I hate ever doubting New England, but I just can't imagine in a rematch going to Kansas City that New England defense being able to to get in the way of this. I just, I just don't. Okay, before I let you go, give me your best – after the game, we know the ESPN execs are out there. This this record viewing thing that we've seen from Monday night and the ratings and how much they've recovered in the last year. But I know you flew back east uh, last night. But I just give me something from just the post game thing with you guys, the staff, or something that you'll always remember because you really were a part of history. I mean, you really whether it's the beginning of this this revolution that we've seen where it's kind of this this one game and this moment. But I mean, last night's going to be a game I'll never forget. And you're lucky enough to be part of this as, as three guys calling it. Um, something you'll remember other than the game that happened after. I'll give you two things, one quick and then one before. And so as the game is getting ready to get started, you know, Roger Goodell is walking by and he, you know, shooting the, shooting the thumbs up. And, you know, from, from Goodell, here comes, here comes uh, Iger and here comes Pataro, which is the, the president of ESPN and then the president of Disney. And everybody's coming by and everybody's saying hello. And you can tell the stars are out. And Jay-Z comes by. He's got his entourage. So it was an L.A. field with the stars out. And then as soon as the game is over, I got to do this Van Pelt hit. 
So I do the Van Pelt here, and, and, and I get on the golf cart, and I go back to where we're staged at. And, you know, Joe Tess has got the biggest voice that I've ever seen or whatever. And, and <laughs> Tess is just sitting in the car, and he's spent. And when Whitney's over there, and he's kind of got his head down. And so for a crew that called a game that big, it just goes to show you the, the amount of energy and the amount of um, focus that it takes to do it for three and a half hours because we were pretty exhausted after the game. And, you know, a couple of us had flights. I think Whit stayed and flew back this morning. But it, it, just the level of, of, of energy and, and effort that it took to call that game, now it was fun. Now, it, it, was, it was a privilege and honor because that game was one of the best that the NFL will ever have. But I think people would be surprised just how much effort and focus and execution it takes to call a game like that, even though it was so fun. And what was the small part? You guys do a late night at uh, Mayweather's place in the Ritz? Nah, you know, I, I didn't see Mayweather. You know, we were trying to get a hold of Puffy and Jay-Z, but they didn't ask our call. <laughs> Can't believe that, man. You're right there. You're, you're like seven <laughs> yards from the field. Uh, you're the best, man. I'm really, really happy for you to be a part of that. Like I said, kind of history there, and uh, we'll catch up again soon, all right? All right, appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. We'll get to the college football playoff rankings. It just came out moments ago. And before we do that, and Chris Fowler trivia, the fall sports season is one of the hardest times of the year to get through without a cable subscription. But now, and I know how some of you guys work on the no cable thing, check this out. ExpressVPN, your solution to everything. You can stream all your favorite teams in any sport on your computer, phone, or tablet. ExpressVPN is the biggest secret cable companies don't want you to hear about. ExpressVPN can get you any IP address in the world, letting you access sports streams available in other countries. Yeah, I know what I just said there. Check it out, because it sounds like when I read it, I'm like, what? And the next thing you know, I'm watching Division II Gaelic soccer. It also lets you securely use the internet without being tracked. ExpressVPN keeps your online activity private and anonymous while you browse, email, download, or stream. Their easy-to-use app encrypts your internet data and hides your IP address protecting your entire connection ExpressVPN costs less than 7 bucks a month and runs seamlessly in the background of computers phones or tablets to unlock access to the streaming content you want today and find out how you can get 3 months free go to expressvpn.com/duel that's express e x p r e s s v p n.com/duel for 3 months free with a 1 year package visit expressvpn dot com slash duel to learn more so the playoff rankings are out let's go top 10 quick i mean i guess we can go a little further if you want to alabama one clemson two notre dame three michigan four georgia five oklahoma six unchanged through that lsu still at seven so that's unchanged washington at eight unchanged uh the committee guys well i shouldn't say committee guys just the dudes at espn all the guys i really like a lot reese joey palmer pollock herbie and i do actually like every one of those guys um It'd be weird if I said, I like four of the five. You figure it you out. You figure it out. Yeah. People probably say Palmer, but it's not true. I think Palmer's a good dude. So let's see here. So Washington State's eight. UCF, the one change, they jump up two spots and they jump past Ohio State. And that keeps Ohio State at 10. But what happened was West Virginia fell out again after a loss that changes kind of the Big 12 stuff a little bit here, although they're still alive in this. By the way, Oklahoma State... Just an aside for a team that, you know, is six and five and fifth in the Big Twelve, and the Big Twelve is kind of sneaky good. It really is. I mean, if the second to second to last team, even in front of an improved Kansas, who gave Oklahoma a little bit, we'll get to that later. Um, I I don't know, man. I mean, the Big Twelve, like I don't think Kansas State's all that great. 
I do think Texas Tech finishing at five and six is disappointing to where they're at right now, but there are times you felt better about them. Iowa State was tough. TCU wasn't as good as we thought they would be, but they're still in the mix of this whole thing. Um, Oklahoma State has beaten Texas, West Virginia, and they were a point away or a two-point conversion of the game that I was at. They would have beaten three top 10 teams in four weeks for a team that kind of, I don't know. I mean, you know, look, again, they're, they're in ninth place in the Big 12. So that was just, man, I talked a lot about Oklahoma State. I didn't mean to do that. Okay, let's um, let's focus in on stuff like running through this. You know, the anti-Alabama fans, once again, oh, they're tied with Citadel, they're tied with Citadel. I mean, look, the 11th game of the season, it's always that game that's a little weird. Uh, I don't know if it was Georgia Southern years ago, like in a year where they were rolling through everybody. That was the game, day game. They're not into it. And then they take it out on them in the second half. Um, that stuff happens. They end up winning 50-7, to seven and, and some of you folks are acting like they lost. Uh, Clemson, Clemson's had some closer games, but... They've been on a run now where the defense feels like the Clemson defense that we thought on paper could hang with anybody and probably was more talented than anybody. Okay. Still not sure what to make of the SEC or excuse me, the ACC. It's just not that good. Uh, although Dabo was, was selling that they have more wins against teams of seven wins uh, than anybody else in the country. I think that was their Look, everybody's got their propaganda this time of the year, but Clemson take care of business. They're not gonna have to worry about this. Notre Dame, they beat a Syracuse team. That's, you know, we thought, potentially <laughs> was uh, look, they're eight and three. They dropped a bunch of spots in the rankings, but we thought Notre Dame, that was going to be their toughest challenge the rest of the way. And, and they smashed them. Uh, Michigan is now fourth. You know, look, they've been fourth, so nothing's changed here, but you know, of all the scenarios that could play out here, if Michigan beats Ohio state and then beats Northwestern, I still don't know why they would be ahead of Notre Dame. And it won't really matter at that point if that's the three and four matchup, right? Because the head-to-head, even though it's the first week of the season, and I do think these changes, these these ebbs and flows of teams are very real, where like a team like Pitt, someone would say, oh, look how good Pitt is now, and, and we beat them in week two, like Penn State's argument. Um, you know, I don't know if that's the Pitt team you beat back then. And I'm not even sure that I'm certain of, of what the answers to are all of these things, but there are teams that evolve and change over the over the season and are, are completely different. And maybe Michigan would beat Notre Dame right now. I'm sure a lot of Michigan fans feel that way. And maybe people look at Notre Dame and go, you know, what are you going to do here? And like, that's the whole point is like, I could keep playing this game of trying to knock everybody if I really wanted to. I think George is better than Notre Dame and Michigan, but they've got a loss. And their loss is worse than Michigan's loss. It just is. They got housed by LSU, and that's why LSU is still propped up in here. I do think that there's something to be said for kind of like the theoretical argument about Oklahoma, because if Oklahoma wins this week, despite just a weird game against Kansas where they gave up 348 yards and four touchdowns on the ground to Kansas, uh, I, I think the Big 12 defenses are getting in the way of Oklahoma's perception here. And, you know, for people that argue, oh, well, you know, it's just you guys are biased and all this stuff. No, your Big, your big 12 defenses are, are more often terrible. They just, they just are. And I, and I know people try to make, like, the Monday night comparison, be like, oh, that was a Big 12 game. The defensive lines in those games on Monday night made plays. The defensive line is the reason why the Rams won that game against the Chiefs. Your Big 12 teams, your own coaches say you don't line up in the right spots. Oklahoma's new D coordinator has been like, look, we just have guys out of position all the time. Your own people are saying it. And 
I'd actually, if I were on the staff, I'd stop being so honest about how poorly you're aligned and how like the kids don't get it and how many missed tackles you have all the time. Because in the weird way this used to work, if Oklahoma beats West Virginia and Texas takes care of Kansas, there's a bunch of Big 12 scenarios that could get really weird here. But if it's the simple one where you expect Texas to beat Kansas and Oklahoma to beat West Virginia, then that's your matchup in the Big 12 title game. And you could have a 12-1 and Oklahoma that's somehow you know, avenged the only loss that they've had all season, which was a very close game against Texas. But they're not even like mentioned in this thing. So if Georgia were to lose and Michigan takes care of business and Notre Dame, you know, doesn't have to worry about the championship game. And that's where the championship game and not having the extra data point can actually help Notre Dame. I don't know how, like, is Oklahoma going to be able to jump them with wins against West Virginia and Texas, two ranked teams? I don't think so. I just don't think that they will. And LSU, for all the angst about LSU still being propped up, it's not by design. You know, you guys got to stop with this stuff. Oh, they're leaving LSU there so that way they can get Georgia back in or they can keep Alabama in and all this stuff. No, I mean, sometimes it's actually a lot easier. They just think LSU's good. They think LSU's better than the majority of the public does. If you want Washington State ahead of LSU, guess what? Washington State's going to have a chance against Washington in the Apple Cup and then in the Utah game, Pac-12 title game. They're going to jump them, okay? If Ohio State beats Michigan and then beats Northwestern, Ohio State's going to jump them. I don't know if UCF can jump them. Maybe they can. I don't think UCF should be in the national title picture. I'm sorry. That's how I felt about it all season long. Great T-shirts, great game day atmosphere in the fake national championship. And again, Bama has about five fake national championships too, so I'm not even knocking you for doing it. But there really isn't much. And this is kind of the overall. I can't believe how many Saturdays. I was like, this Saturday kind of sucked. I love Saturday as much as anybody. But this has been, there's been a lot of 8 o'clock primetime slots where I've gone, and that's 8 Eastern. Five Pacific, where I go, you know what? There's not really, like, I don't have to, like, I can tape this one. And if I don't watch this in the moment live, I'm going to be okay. When it's Clemson Duke, when it's Purdue, Ohio State, even though that was interesting, um, you know, Boston College, Clemson. I can't, I mean, it just feels like there's a lot of Saturdays where I go, wait a minute, what? And then, you know, the Pac 12. And I love the Pac-12. It just hasn't been as good. But Washington State, I mean, look, they're going to jump LSU, but their non-conference is going to prevent them from getting into that top four. So there you go. I had a really long Big Ten thing, but I'm going to save that. I'm going to save that for later. (laughs) Maybe tomorrow on the ESPN pod. Okay, is everybody ready? I've done all my reads, right, Kyle? Yes, sir. All right. Chris Fowler trivia. Make sure you subscribe. Rate, review. The Dual Threat Podcast. Thank you for all your support. This week on Chris Fowler Trivia. In 1888, this Africa, 